that's a no-brainer, intermittent fasting. Yeah. I mean, if you can do all fasting, great, but I think most people could do intermittent fasting. Absolutely. And, and it just, you lower that inflammation down and now you're, you're slowing the aging process down. So it's, it's to me, it just keeps proving over and over and over again to be the, the anti-aging tool that we are all so desperately needing and probably the tool that big pharma doesn't want us all to know about. Welcome to the Modern Longevitarian Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Stanfield. I have the privilege and honor to interview some of the most successful people in the fields of human performance and longevity. You can listen to the Modern Longevitarian on your favorite platforms. If you have Apple Podcasts, please do me a favor and subscribe. Also, please stay tuned for an important message from our sponsor, Electrolife. What an episode with Dr. Mindy. She is a ball of energy and has so much real-world knowledge on fasting, feasting, and the keto lifestyle. Then she goes and backs it all up with science. The big three takeaways are that your body is designed to heal itself through fasting. Each of us are on our own journey to extend our health span. And more importantly, you need to lead your loved ones by being the example. I encourage you to listen, learn, and explore the links and the show notes on modernlongevitarian.com. Now, my interview with Dr. Mindy. Today's guest, at 19 years of age, in college, was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. Her doctors advised her to drop out and start a course of trial medications. She refused, and she came back swinging. This ignited her self-described crazy passion to help others. She graduated with clinical honors from Palmer College of Chiropractic, authored the best-selling book titled The Reset Factor, and she built one of the largest natural wellness clinics in the San Francisco Bay Area. Dr. Mindy Pels has worked with multiple Silicon Valley corporations and top CEOs, Olympic athletes, Academy Award-winning actors, and most importantly, everyday people and families just like you and me. Dr. Mindy Peltz, welcome to the Modern Longevitarian Podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, this is going to be so much fun. I've been a huge fan for so long. Um, there's one of your videos uh, that I've shared. It's got to be at least 50 times with people explaining um, how fasting and insulin are connected and this signal to store fat and burn fat and all those things. So um, this is going to be more fun for me than I'm sure any of the listeners are just <laughs> questions, right? <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, gosh. Um, so let's start with epigenetics. For yes. years, we've been told, and there's a common belief, that we've been dealt this, deck, this hand, and it, that determines what our health is going to be. But really yep. what's more important is how we play that hand or how we how we influence our genetics through environment and things like that. So um, what's, you know, what can we do to influence our genetics to maybe turn switches on or turn certain switches off to live our best life today? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have so many thoughts on this. So I love that we start with epigenetics. Like you don't start with a light subject. <laughs> You're like, let's just dive into epigenetics. Okay. So here's, here's how I look at epigenetics, is that our genes have to have something that covers them so that they're not red, that's called a methyl cap. And the methyl cap, if it's present, you can't read a gene. Maybe it's a gene for cancer, maybe it's a gene for an autoimmune condition. And these methyl caps are made up of a lot of B vitamins. Now, what happens is that over here sits the stressor bucket. And the more physical, emotional, chemical stress you have, the more the body prioritizes stress and says, hey, I, I got a lot of, lot of stress over here. I need to borrow the, the B vitamins. I need to borrow these methyl caps and help handle the stress and, and the situations that are occurring with the, all of these stressors. On the other side of that equation is your microbiome. And your microbiome is creating B vitamins to put these methyl caps on. So now he here's where epigenetic kicks, uh, kicks in. If you're under a tremendous amount of stress 
and your inflammation is very high. And, and stress can, doesn't just have to be emotional stress. Maybe you're eating bad food all day. And your body is requiring these B vitamins and methyl caps to handle that. And your microbiome is destroyed, so it's not making enough B vitamins. You're leaving that gene exposed. And if it's an auto, I see this all the time in my clinic, if it's an autoimmune condition like lupus, RA, Hashimoto's, and now there's no cap protecting it, messenger RNA will come around and go, oh, here's a gene. I haven't read this gene yet. And it'll start to, it'll start to read it. And now you have the condition that you've been hoping to avoid your whole life, or maybe you didn't even know you had. So with fasting, what we do is we come over here and we say, hey, with the production of ketones, with the with autophagy that happens with fasting, um, that we can bring inflammation down. We can get rid of a lot of these stressors without the use of supplements or anything. We can bring that down. And then we can also, with certain fasts, come over here and repair the microbiome. So now with fasting, you're making more methyl caps and you're requiring less of these methyl supplement or vitamins to be used for stressors, and so genes are not getting turned on. An important message from our sponsor, Electrolife. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my favorite supplements on the entire planet, Magnesium with Immune Boost, made by Electrolife.com. Why magnesium? When it comes to nutrient deficiencies, magnesium ranks at the top of the list it's right there with iron, iodine, and vitamin D. Just like sodium and potassium, magnesium is an important electrolyte. Electrolytes are needed to balance the water in our bodies, balance our body's pH level, and move nutrients into our cells while moving waste out. If you're keto like me, you truly know the importance of electrolytes and hydration. Believe it or not, magnesium is needed for more than 300 biochemical reactions in the human body. Some people say up to 600. Let me tell you why I trust this specific product made by Electrolife for me and my family. This supplement contains a high-grade magnesium plus potassium and over 60 other minerals that are key to our health. It's produced from the Great Salt Lake. And no, you can't just go over and dip your water bottle in and start drinking lake water. It takes three years from the point of capture to the point that this becomes a consumable supplement. Nowhere else on earth will you find a richer source of minerals and nutrients, and that's the truth. The other reason I love this magnesium is that it's easy to use. Just add it to whatever you're drinking. All you need is two droppers full each day. If you want to get started with one of the best magnesium supplements on the entire planet with an added immune system booster, click on the link in the show notes or go to electrolife.com forward slash shop. That's Electrolife with a Y is spelled E-L-E-C-T-R-O-L-Y-F-E dot com. And now back to the show. Wow, I've never heard it explained that way. That's, a, that's amazing because it's almost like there's a, a safety, right? A safety protecting valve, uh, you know, that allows certain things to get um, you know, from being turned on, you know, my, my grandmother had lupus and she passed away from lupus and, um, both of, um, my parents have had cancer, my, and that was my grandma on my mom's side and uh, my mom's mom and my dad's dad had cancer and passed away from it. So there's a lot of those things are in my family. And when mm-hmm. I just really, you know, um, like you, you had chronic fatigue syndrome, which it really kind of spawned you into this, where what spawned me into it was seeing my family being sick. And I'm like, how can I make these changes? I have control over what I put in and on my body. Yep. Um, and yep. now when I put it in my body. Yep. Right? Yeah. 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 And on the, on, on the autoimmune thing, you know, there are more autoimmune conditions than ever before. Well, what are the two things that are happening to people worse than ever before? And one is the physical, emotional, chemical stressors. I mean, we have more toxins in our air, in our soils, in our food. We have people that are more stressed out ever than, than ever before. And we have a microbiome that is under massive destruction from pesticides and glyphosate and things like that. So you, you've got this autoimmune situation that's just 
emerging in such a huge way. And this is where I love a tool like fasting because it doesn't take money, doesn't take time, and you can bring the stressors down. You can clean those out. You can repair the microbiome. And all you need is knowledge and a little bit of help on how to do these fasts. But you really can start to reverse these autoimmune conditions. Yeah, it's... um... I'm pretty sure I was pre-diabetic or getting close to it, you know, at 40, 40 pounds overweight and been overweight twice. And, and so I, I totally understand what you're saying. And you mentioned uh, the uh, microbiome, which I think is, I, I, I listened to uh, you explain this in one of your videos on a hike yesterday where you were talking about, um, you called them something cuties. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's certain- cuties, cuties. Yeah. 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 yeah there's and- like, so, there's like four big phylums and one of them's firmicutes. And I, I think it's actually called firmicutes, but I like to call them firmicutes. Right. Yeah. And why not have fun? And, and have yeah, right. Fun. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But you were talking about a, the ratio between those two and what, how it um, can increase your metabolism and help with weight loss. Yep. And yeah. So, also- yeah. In fact, it's so funny. I was just doing some research this morning for a uh, YouTube video on how to overcome sugar cravings. And it was another validation that our bacteria control our, our metabolism. I mean, they control so much, but they also control our taste buds. So when you look at people who struggle to lose weight, a lot of times what happens is they have more firmicuties. In fact, a friend of mine who, who has tried to lose weight always says they're not so cute because if you have too many of them, <laughs> they make it so that you struggle to lose weight. Yeah. But it's your, it's your firmicuties to your bacteroides um, ratio. And that's where like a, st- a stool test can tell you if you have that right ratio. But if you have less bacteroides, more firmicutes, I don't care what diet I'm going to put you on, but you're going to struggle to lose weight. And if you make that, if you switch it and you get yourself, uh, bring those firmicutes down and the bacteroides up, now you can, your, your metabolism will change. And one of the ways you change that is doing more fasting and specifically 24-hour fasts we know will create stem cell production inside the gut so that now anything that's damaged, if you have too many firmicutes, if you don't have enough bacteroides, it will change the environment in there so that those two will balance out and now you'll start to lose more weight. Right. There seems to be, I mean, there's so many things. You mentioned stress, which I think about mindset, microbiome, we talked about, you know, all these different things we're talking about in what really comes to mind right now is that there is a lot of magic with the 24-hour fast. There's so many yeah. things I've heard you talk about that, that start happening at 24 hours. Yeah. I, yeah, that, it's becoming my most favorite fast. And you, you'll see it on my videos. Like the more I research this stuff, I'm like, oh, my God, 24 hours is where the magic happens. But um, if you, let's start so we don't lose com- people completely, but uh, intermittent fasting, 13 to 15 hours is awesome. There are over 1,500 peer-reviewed journals out there showing how beneficial it is for inflammation, any, any disease that has a chronic inflammatory piece to it, which is 95% of the chronic diseases out there. So uh, th- th- I did a whole video on that. I think it was called Why Your Doctor Should Be Recommending Intermittent Fasting. So I think that is a great tool that everybody's been using. You have great success with that. Then when you go to 17 hours, you're stimulating something called autophagy. And that's where you're actually telling your body to turn within itself and to start to repair. So it's called autophagy, and it's just a self-repair mechanism that gets initiated at 17 hours. But 24 hours is really cool because... There are several things. One, the most recent study was done out of MIT showing that intestinal stem cells will get regenerated. So anybody who's got parasites, SIBO, candida, if you're bloated after you eat, if you're constipated, like it's an incredible tool for healing the gut. But also we know things like BDNF kicks in, which is brain fertilizer. Uh, It'll help regrow neurons that have been degenerated. We know that GABA production goes up when you get into a 24-hour, about the 24-hour mark, where you're going to be a lot calmer and more peaceful. We know that it reboots the um, receptor sites for dopamine, so your perception of joy will change. 
And it, you can get uh, the whole Krebs cycle at 24 hours will be, uh, there's a stimulation of the Krebs cycle for more antioxidants. It's really, when you like dive into it, it's like, holy cow, were we well designed. Yeah, we, we were designed to heal ourselves. Yeah, amazing. We just never been taught. We've been taught to eat all day and, and we've been taught if you have a problem, take a medication. And that's what we've been taught. And if you don't have symptoms, you're fine. Like those are kind of like the three like basic principles that have gotten us in trouble. Yeah. And we also, you know, not balancing out, you know, our carbohydrates to fat ratio and, yep. and healthy fats and those type of things. But it's almost like um, we've been brainwashed in a certain way to, to have. do the, the wrong things like lower sodium, lower fat, where you read things like the work of Dr. Stephen Finney, where he talks about the amount of, you know, sodium we can have, which is almost like five grams a day, right? 4.8, I think is, you know, where it's at. And, um, and then now higher fat is coming into play. And so um, it's been, it's been mind blowing to see this rapid change yep. in how people are thinking and eating and those things. And um, so, you, so you mentioned so many different things about the gut, right? So we've talked about, you know, fasting can help heal the gut um, glyphosate, you know, does some really, and all the toxins does all these things to damage it. And um, there's one thing I've also heard you talk about is like um, gut flora, gut flora diversity. Mm, and yeah. How you diversify your foods to help feed all the different things in your gut, because it's not really about what we eat is what our gut really eats and processes yep. that allows that to happen. So can you talk a little bit more about diversity and we can maybe go in and talk a little bit about eating what we should be eating and how we should be eating because you know, I'm a foodie. I worked in the restaurant business for 26 years and we can even talk about some wine and I've done some research on dry food. Yes, let's, yeah. I've worked managed restaurants that had almost 500 different labels on the list and things like that. So I know a lot about wine. And so narrowing myself down to one might be hard, right? <laughs> so, yes, yes. But let's, so let's talk about gut diversity, food diversity, and the, and the relationship between those. Yeah. Okay. So it's funny. You must have been like, uh, I feel like you were watching my research this morning because I just came across another article that showed that the diversity really matters again in our food cravings. So here's what I'll tell you is that they believe they used to think we had about a thousand different species of bacteria in our gut. And they now believe that we have close to 6,000. Wow. And in the gut, you have a hundred times more bacterial cells than you do human cells. So if all we're doing is trying to manipulate the human cells and not really address the bacterial cells, so you're missing out on so much goodness that these bacteria make for us. And so, and, and with diversity, what happens is that people typically eat the same food over and over and over again. So they create a monoculture where they take maybe a hundred of these species and they're feeding them every day and these guys get really strong. Well, if they happen to be the species of bacteria that um, make you crave, like you, your gut bacteria will actually have a connection via the vagus nerve to the receptors in your mouth for things like sweetness and bitter and salt. So these, these without diversity, you can overdevelop the gut bacteria that will cause these receptor sites in your mouth to crave certain things. So now you get the person who says, okay, I crave sweets. There's nothing you can do that will ever get me to uncrave these sweets. And I always say, yeah, just, just watch me. We're gonna, we're gonna undo that. And a part of that is that you've gotta open up the diversity of, the, of your gut and you've gotta start to eat different foods. So one of the, there's a lot of ways you can do it. And this is where, you know, you, you've mentioned the restaurant industry a couple of times, like I'm such a fan of eating, but eating really well. And so people think just because I'm a fan of fasting means that I'm not a fan of eating. But when I eat, I eat for things like my microbiome. And when you, when you eat like a salad, for example, are you always buying the same lettuce? Are you always like, there's no diversity in that. So what we have people do is what we call a plant diversity score, where you try to get over 200 plants in a month's time period. So, and you can actually, it's kind of fun and you can do it with like salads. I think I got up to almost 20 different plants in one salad. 
and spices count and it's all a plant is anything from vegetables to fruit to seeds to nuts to spices and in a two in a month time period can you get over 200 different plants into your diet if you can now what you're doing is you're opening up these other bacteria that you haven't been feeding and they will start to grow and as they grow your 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 cravings will change you're going to get things like serotonin and dopamine and GABA that make you feel really good. Your immune system will go up. Um, I mean, you name it. Those, those bacteria are crucial, especially for, the, for your brain, for mental health, but they're also crucial for what you're craving. Wow. I know that I you know, have gotten stuck in ruts where I would have the same thing for lunch or dinner over time. And I know that families in general that cook you know, have like 10 recipes they rotate through. Yep. No, on average. Right. And so this is, and you also mentioned something where you have something that's probiotic, prebiotic and polyphenol on your plate at one time. And I, and I, so last night was the first time I'd had kimchi in a long time. It's just been sitting in the fridge. So, um, what'd you think? Yeah. Well, I, I I love kimchi. And when, I mean, but I, and I love that where you're like checking boxes in a different way. Yep. Versus it like going, I'm having this for this micronutrient, this for this micronutrient, this way, you're actually feeding the bacteria that actually are really kind of driving the bus when it comes to things. Yep. Right. Yeah. I, the way I look at it, like, I don't know if it's like when my kids were little, we had, that my daughter had a hamster. And like, if I walked away from the hamster and I didn't feed the hamster, the hamster would die. So I look at that like in our gut microbiome, you have this little pet inside of you and it wants to make you feel good. It wants to give you lots of oxytocin and and make you just feel really great like our pets do. But you got to feed it. And if you don't even pay attention to the food that you're feeding your, your gut, you're not going to get the goodness of these neurotransmitters. And then we start to label it. This is what one of the things that gets me really upset is then we start to label like our anxiety or our depression as something that's happening outside of us. But there's 50, like so much that we can really change inside of us to have a different chemical reaction. And what if it was as simple as eating kimchi? Like, and it could be that simple. I mean, I just saw a study that was so interesting on kimchi that there is when you ferment and uh, with cayenne, uh, you add to the fermented process cayenne, uh, but the fermentation of green onions causes a bacteria that will protect you against viruses. So it was like, okay, this is really interesting in this day and age. Why aren't we all eating more kimchi? We're scared of viruses. Why, why, why is nobody talking about the power of what you're eating for that protection? That's not our default, really. I know. You, you know, it, it's our default is that it, it looks at a different. If I get sick, I need to go to the doctor, go to the hospital, go to urgent care so I can get a pill for this one particular thing versus like, how am I going to fortify my immune system? How am I going to build up these stronger walls to protect myself from these things happening? Um, I know you're in California. I was actually working in Santa Monica when- oh, I, all That's of where I grew up. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yep. Um, I was working across the street from the pier um, at a restaurant. Okay. Yep. No, I went to Santa Monica High School, so I, which is right across from the pier. Yeah. And so um, it was interesting back in February that um, I had a had a- a high increase of call outs and people were sick, really sick. And um, employees were coming to me and they were saying, this that's the sickest I can ever remember being. I've never missed that many days before, or I couldn't lift my head off the pillow for a couple days. Um, just really crazy things. So I think coronavirus or COVID-19 came through that part of California prior to us really knowing when it, when it had happened. And I, I'm in Park City, Utah right now, and, and everybody well, here you. says the same thing, that yep. um, it came through with Sundance happens, yep. which is the, the last oh. day of January. Because that would make sense. Because the first weeks of February that were out sick that normally never get sick at all, right? Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. And so yeah, we, we've, ha- we've speculated about that around here, too. I'm in Silicon Valley, and I've found that we just aren't seeing a lot of cases. I mean, maybe it, and when I look at the symptoms, we saw some more of those symptoms in December and February, January, February. So I believe that. 
and and so what here here is someone like me who's in the middle of it is my point i've been intermittent fasting for eight years and doing everything i can to 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 live a healthy life and i was unfazed right I mean, you know literally yep. literally unfazed by it and um now i can i have done more work over the years to to grow my diversity and my microbiome yes absolutely i, I definitely could have done that and that's something that's really hit the radar just in the last year, really, where people really started talking about this on the level that we are mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's other things that kind of work against me. I was, um, uh, I was born through a C-section, so I didn't get the download from mom. Yeah. Wow. Know, and and yeah. that, that type of stuff, you know, had sinus infections for chronic sinus infections, so a lot of antibiotics in the early part of my life. And so, and then not knowing about taking you know, NSAIDs or non-steroid anti-inflammatory drugs because I went to school for athletic training. That was one of the first things that somebody got injured, you would do. So yep. if you were hurting or something like that over the years, that was kind of where I would go, all right? And so it was basically just chipping away at my microbiome, you know, over the years. And then um, now I'm spending a lot of time trying to repair all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's a, it's a really good point, and it's been one of the things that I've been really trying to educate my community on with COVID-19 is that we have more control than we've been taught, and we need, there are many pieces to putting your health together, but when you've been, like, when COVID-19 first hit, I looked at all my community, and I'm like, you guys are good, like, this is what the moment you've been working for, like, it's, and it's true, what they're seeing right now is that there are some consistent findings of the people that are getting it and falling prey to it or getting bad symptoms. Um, Hyperglycemia is one, uh, which is too much blood sugar. Uh, Oxidative stress is another one where you are, which is just code for inflammation. So when you've been working these principles with fasting and feeding your microbiome, um, you're prepared for a moment like this. And I, I just, again, I wish we were talking more about this right now and less about how to avoid it and more how to, how to catch it and be strong. Yeah, it's, I think it's for people who are living and eating a standard American diet, you know, switching over to what you and I do and what you teach people is kind of a big stretch, right? It's a big, it's a big, I get gap. it. Yeah. 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 It is. I think people have to kind of already be thinking down that road or going or at least starting down that trail to be able to kind of go where we are and go. Because, you know, we talked before we started recording about how the number one response when we talk to people about fasting is, oh, I could never do that. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And but but you can. I mean, that's the thing is like, yes. And (laughs) it's just that you've never been taught. So if you're listening to this and you think we sound crazy, it's like your taste buds have been trained a certain way. Your eating habits are trained a certain way. You can untrain it, and you just have to decide how motivated you are. I mean, the, the good news about this pandemic, I feel, is all of a sudden people are waking up to like, whoa, like my health is really important because a virus could come to town and take me out if, I don't, if I'm not aware of that. And so that's good. That's a good starting spot. It is, and, and you're right. We have, you have to find your own inner motivation. Yeah, to to want to make those type of changes and do those type of things. Now, I I love your flexibility in several different things. There's um, you quote there's seven different types of fasting, right? And yep. there's I believe you have three different types of the ketogenic diet that you talk about as well. Yep. And, um, I think that over the years I've done all of them, but and we don't really need to dig super deep into each one of those because that would take like four hours for us yeah. to do, <laughs> yeah, right. list all of those things. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because, you know, what I want to ask about the ketogenic diet is what do women have to do differently about keto? Because I noticed that, A, when people, when women ask me, like my wife, my sister-in-law, you know, people at work, things like that, church, those things, that what works for me doesn't always work for them. So I was, I know this is something that's really big for you. And so I want to talk to you about that. Yeah, no. And thank you for asking, because I think it's a powerful one for women and, and to give people some, a little bit of a background. I think what happened is when the ketogenic diet became popular, everybody got on, they started doing it, they got great results, and then they become zealots for the keto, which we do with diets, right? We're like, this is the most amazing diet. And then that's all we want to do is just do that diet. So, but the problem is, is that there's one time, well, and then let's step one step further after keto was such a, 
um, popular diet for so long, all the naysayers came in. And they said, no, no, keto's not good. It's going to make your hair fall out. It's going to make you, you know, it, for women, it'll make their cycles go off. It'll give them more anxiety. But what they didn't do is look at why that was. And so I started to look at why. And there is one time of the month that a woman should not do keto because the foods that she needs to eat actually are things that most ketogenic lovers don't eat, like beans, uh, rice, potatoes, uh, squashes, citrus fruits, tropical fruits. Because, And that one time is around day 21 of your cycle. You need to make more progesterone. And in order to make progesterone, you're going to have to step out of ketosis. You got to get your glucose a little bit higher, and then you've got to eat those foods I just talked about. And then you make progesterone and you feel good. And then you're all of a sudden, you know, you, your cycle will start and now you could do keto again. Mm -hmm. But from day 21 to about day 28, until you actually, some women go 30 days, that's when you want to step out of ketosis. So that's almost like a forced keto cycling diet then. Yeah. So you can do it. And, but then I get people are like, but then I won't get all the benefits of keto. And it's like, okay, well, do you want to be skinny and have your hair fall out and be anxious and your hormones all messed up? <laughs> like, <laughs> and then you've got the opposite of people that are like, oh no, I heard the keto is really bad for women. And it's like, okay, do you want to miss out on like the neuroprotective aspect and all the hormones and the, that it, that the good hormones that it creates and all the repair and the anti-aging effect? Like, no, don't miss out on that. So you just have to look at it and blend it together. Right. That's absolutely amazing because nobody's really talking about how you can do both of them, right? Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think that, you know, for women, having a cycle is a great feedback loop that men don't have right you know, yeah if men just don't like if we're doing something that's hurting us we may not find out for a long time because we're kind of hard-headed right yeah this but is so true like, oh i missed my cycle and it's either one of two things either i'm doing some things wrong or i'm pregnant right There's yeah this. right it's so true well yeah. i think men have their gut right they're like oh, okay i'm doing something wrong the gut got a little bit bigger and yeah. then yeah and then all of a sudden they they dial back and like okay now i'm better now Right, exactly. You know, it, it's um, we're a lot simpler, you know, with, with those things. What about keto and like postmenopause women? How is that? Is that any difference there? Well, so it's, it's a little bit easier for postmenopausal because what happens is that, um, you know, you don't have a cycle to, to, to work with, but you also have very low progesterone. So you're going to want to throw some of those progesterone days in randomly. And I usually tell people throw the, those days in like the, the, what I talked about, the potatoes, the rice, the squash, all that, like throw that in when you're feeling anxious, when you are not sleeping well, when, when you you feel emotionally off, that's a good day to throw something like that in and try to build up some progesterone, but you don't have to do it consecutive days. You can fast whenever you want. You can do keto as, uh, whenever you want, but I encourage at least once a week for a postmenopausal woman to throw in a hormone building day. Well, that could be almost a feast day then, right? It could be. It, yeah. I always say there's three feast days. There's like the hormone building, there's protein loading, and then there's release valve. There's like the day that you're just like, forget it. I just don't want to do anything. But if you're intentional about your feast day, it can be really fun. Yeah. You know, for, for me, it has been as well. I, I tend to feast on Sundays. I'll eat a little bit earlier. Yeah, that's day. my day too. Yep. Right. And I'll push my carbs a little bit and kind of cycle out. Yeah, I think I've been keto four years, over four wow. years. Wow, wow. And, and which is long, a long time, right? Uh, you know, and, and I, I got it from listening to Dr. Dom DeAnastigo on the Tim Ferriss show. Awesome. He was the original keto guy. And he, yeah. he originally came out and said for seizures. But again, this is what I think is so interesting is we take information at the surface and we're like, oh, okay, well, let's find all the people with seizures. And then luckily the cancer uh, movement or community grabbed onto it and started to see like, oh, it's helpful for cancer. And then people started to go, okay, well, why is it helpful for cancer? Well, it repairs the mitochondria. Ketones repair the mitochondria. Okay, well, everybody has mitochondria. And, and what other diseases are affected by a dysfunctional mitochondria? Well, pretty much every disease. So then it just spread from there. Right. Then Dr. Terry Walls, you know, yep. you know, with, with her work and my wife's a huge fan of her. So I've listened. I to am her too. Yeah. Yeah. 
anybody who puts their MS in remission can get out of a wheelchair and Amazing. ride a bike for 19 miles a year later. You just through food and paleo yep. principles is, is off the charts. Yep. So, uh, another thing staying within the family is, um, and I've listened to you talk about this before, is about kids, right? Mm. And our children. Yep. And my son's 18, my daughter's 12. Uh, and I've watched their relationship with food, which is a lot different. I think a God programmed them a little bit different way, but then also my wife had an influence on that because, you know, and, but what I love is that your approach to uh, teaching or understanding when your kids may be hungry and when they want to eat and not versus feeding them on relationship relationship to the clock. So if you want yep. to talk about that, that'd be amazing. Yeah. You know, is I, it's interesting because I struggled with this when my kids were little and my kids are now 20 and 18. And I was like, I didn't want to chase them all day long with food because I felt like where was their own intrinsic uh, like understanding of when to eat, like if we're just putting food in front of their face. So I started to look at the patterns. Like I knew at three o'clock when I picked them up from school, they were like, if I didn't have food in the car, they were going to crash. So I just made sure I had food then. But the one that get, tripped me up the most, and now that I know the principles of fasting, was breakfast. I mean, I can't tell you, my kids, they wouldn't, they just never wanted to eat breakfast. I would make them breakfast. They might eat a little bit of it and then they'd rush off to school and I'd look down and I'm like, oh my God, they didn't eat their breakfast. So I think that the first thing is to watch your kid's pattern. What's their normal pattern and try to adapt to that. Your child might be really hungry in the morning, but not so hungry at night. And try to find out, like I can tell you my 18-year-old son, his pattern is he needs to usually eat about three, two to three hours after he wakes up. And then he's pretty good then. And then he can go in the afternoon, all afternoon, fine. But then when dinner hits, now he's hungry again. So I don't, I don't tell him he has to eat breakfast. In fact, I encourage him not to eat breakfast now that he's older. So that's the first thing is just really understand their pattern. The second thing is like for your 12 year old daughter with, with middle school, especially, um, and especially girls, I am really careful to, to not push fasting on them. I get a lot of families that will tell me, well, if it's so good, I need to make my children, children do this. Don't make anybody fast. Fasting has to be a personal thing that you come to. So, but what you can do is be an example for them. So it's like, I just don't eat, my kids know, we just don't eat breakfast. And when we go on vacation, we don't eat breakfast. So they just know that and that, um, and they've, we've modeled it. But at 12, my concern, if we start fasting too much, is that we'll start to create too much deprivation. And then with deprivation comes a whole slew of eating disorders. So I find that what I'm seeing is around the teenage years is about like around 16, 17 they start to, to understand if the family is already intermittent fasting, they start to clue in and go, hey, I think I want to try that now. And I would say that both my kids are intermittent fasters now, and it's just part of their style. They don't even realize they're doing it because they've just sort of clued into the pattern of the family. Right. I think that there's, there's a lot of people that, that don't even realize they're, they're fasting sometimes, you know, and, um, but the yep. other day, my, my daughter asked me, she's like, Daddy, do you want uh, some miso soup? for lunch. And I was like, no, thank you. And then I heard my wife say, she's like, did you forget that dad doesn't eat during the day? She said, uh -huh. yeah, forget that, right? Yeah. 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 And, um, uh, I will, you know, I'll eat, you know, breakfast on, you know, holidays and birthdays and cause our family likes to do like breakfast in bed for mother's day and that type of stuff. Yeah. Right. And so, um, but, uh, it's really an interesting thing. I think now I've been intermittent fasting since she was four. She doesn't remember any other, thing yep. right but yeah but also she was being so she made the miso soup she actually has um an instagram um pretty big instagram following she has a good for her channel that's called uh kids crazy for healthy cooking nice oh my gosh i love it i'm gonna have to check it out yeah i'll, yeah. I'll send you i'll send you a link to yeah it. please i'll go check it out that would be awesome yeah. she does a lot of keto stuff and my wife helps a lot with it behind the scenes but um, they make like keto mounds bars and um, keto awesome. bagels and I mean, just crazy stuff that she, that, that they make. And um, I get to taste test a lot of the, those recipes and, and those awesome. things. So she makes something, she'll make something. And then like, she knows it's like fits in my diet and she'll ask me if I want to eat it. And then I have a choice. Do I say yes 
or no because of the time of day. And, and, and most of the time I'll say yes, because I've been around a lot of chefs and they make something, they'll bring it to me and they made it with love and it's a new special or something. They want me to try yeah. it. And you don't want yeah. to hurt anybody's feelings or like not, not do your job or, you know, those, those type of things. I have a comment on that. One thing that I've done before is like, and we get it here in the office, like a patient will bring in some nice keto treat and I'll just say, awesome. Thank you. I'm fasting right now, but when I break my fast, I'd love to eat it. And so that has been a good way of like, Hey, I'll accept what you gave me. Thank you. Now in a restaurant, it's probably a little different, but in home, it's like, awesome. Thank you. And when I break my fast, I'm going to love this up. And then that way they feel heard and loved and, and you didn't, you know, you can, you can still eat it. Yeah, I did that yesterday. She's like, Dad, you want some pistachios? And because we were in the treehouse hanging out because the power went out. It was kind of an interesting day. Winds blow and power went out. And I said, you know what? I want to actually work out before I eat. But when I get back, I'm going to eat all of those. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah so I, I did a little bit of that yesterday. Um, gosh, let's talk about, um, let's talk about wine. Oh, yes. You said you, we were going to talk about that for sure. It's my yeah. favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, there, you know, my first question I think about alcohol in general is that it seems to me that um, my body processes alcohol differently. Like I'm a lightweight. Two drinks now, you know, will kind of yeah. make me feel a little loopy where before it didn't happen before I was keto. So is there is the body process alcohol differently when you're in ketosis or fasting or that type of stuff? When you're in ketosis, remember your liver is the thing that's spitting out those ketones. So when okay. you put if you put alcohol in at that moment, it's going to metabolize that alcohol really fast, and you're going to have a you're going to feel a little more of an effect from the alcohol quickly. So I I, I don't really recommend it if you're in a ketogenic state. Now, having said that, you know about dry farm wines? Yes, I do. Yeah, that's what we just switched over to in our house, which is a low sugar wine and has zero carbs. And it, I find it's low al lower alcohol. It's got a lot of natural wild yeasts in it. So actually, I, I've always wondered what it does to my microbiome because I do believe that there's a piece of it that because everything is like... Um, is biodynamic and, and organic and has a lot, you know, there's a lot of polyphenols in red grapes, especially if you're doing red wine. So that's what we do. Um, but I do believe that you have to be careful if you're in a state of ketosis and you drink, you're going to get drunk a lot quicker um, because of the way that the liver is processing those ketones. Yeah. It, I've experienced that firsthand and because you know, being in the industry, you go to a, an industry event and they have a tasting, you know, maybe wines or, you know, I've, I've worked in restaurants. We had 1100 whiskeys. So we would do whiskey tastings. And oh, wow. And yeah. so, um, you know, or, or go, go to those type of events and then realizing it's like, wow, I used to be able to drink a right before I felt this way. And now it's like half that amount is really giving me the same effect. And so, um, that's interesting that I have always wondered what the answer to the question was, because I knew it was something, but I just didn't know what, what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, I'm always so, careful. Like a lot of times, like I'll, you know, I'll have a busy day and I haven't eaten all day and I'll come home and I think, Oh, I want a glass of wine, but I make sure I, I break my fast first. And then I have a glass of wine because I can't imagine that's very good for my liver to, you know, break my fast with a glass of wine. No, no. There's so many other things that are so much better for you. That's right. That's right. Um, so, um, so how's the wine taste? How's Dry Farms wines taste? Well, so this is really interesting for a lot of people when they first taste it, it's, it's, um, it, they don't like it because it's not like a big jammy cab or Zinfandel. So it tastes a lot. There's a, since there's less sweetness in there, it's more like a Pinot where it's just, and they have white wines too, um, where it's just a, a more muted taste. And I, at first, was like, I'm not, I'm not sure, but now that I drink it more, I think my microbiome has changed from it in a positive way. And so I actually t taste the, the taste within it much differently. And most of them are, are French, Italian wines because they are more strict about the, what they're spraying on their grapes. So these, aren't, these are not like, you know, box wines. These are nice wines. Um, so I, I've, I love the taste now. But my husband and I laugh that 
we don't typically, we used to give a bottle of dry farm wines away to people that are wine lovers. And then we're like, I don't think they appreciate what I'm giving them. So. <laughs> well, there's, there's two different camps and this is actually old world, new world wines. And maybe I can help you with this a little bit because I teach about wines all the time. And um, the wines in Europe are actually um, designed to be consumed with food. Yes. And, and, the, and the wines in the new world, right, which is pretty much everywhere else, are designed where they can stand alone and you can have that glass of wine while you're cooking versus ah. friends and things like that. So they're, as you said, jammier, juicier, and, and, and um, they're not as dry, right? So what happens in an old world wine, which is what it sounds like the dry farmed wines really are, um, is you, you eat food and let's say you, you coat your, your tongue and your taste buds with fat and things like that. Those wines are designed to strip your tongue so the next bite or the last bite of your food tastes just as good as the first bite. Ah, Where, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and, and so, um, you know, like the bottle of wine that my wife and I opened last night is actually from Italy, from Puglia, Italy, and, and uh, there's a, a varietal I've never had before that I can't even pronounce, and uh, I'll have to call my Italian sommelier friend in Santa Monica and ask him how, how to pronounce it. <laughs> Um, but, but my point being is that um, um, maybe that's, that's what people are having to get used to because most people like these California Cabernets or California Pinots or those type of things because of the way they are um, made to be consumed. Yep. Interesting. So what I would do when uh, I would have, I would buy a bottle of new world wine and a bottle of old world wine. And we would, you know, while we're cooking or something like that, we would have that. And then while we're actually eating dinner, we would have the old world wine and do it that way. So maybe if people have dry farms, wines with food more often versus by itself, understand, you know, that's it, great. I love that. I will, I will tell people that because, you know, there's so much, there's a, there, especially, I mean, I'm 45 minutes from Napa. I have a cellar full of great Napa wines that we know, I don't know when we're going to drink because what we've identified is that if it's not dry farm, what ends up happening is that you can, we, we, we can only drink less of them or we're hung over the next day with dry farm you never get hung over like you can have a, almost a bottle and you don't get hung over so there's there's something that they did differently in the making of the wine that feels more in alignment with my microbiome whereas the, the other wine feels more yeah just you feel worse the next day and it could be the pesticides it could be organic versus not those kind of things. Well, pesticides are, are, are one piece of it. The other piece um, probably is the sulfites added. Sulfites added. They, yeah. I guess they add sugar to help the fermentation process is what I can imagine. Well, they do. And, and um, a lot of wines that are a little bit sweeter, they, um, they add wine because people, um, that fits their palate these days. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. I've, you know, I've, I've worked with several sommeliers. One was a level three sommelier and he knew everything about wine that you would ever want to know. And, and then some, and he would complain about certain, I'm not going to mention them now, but certain brands of wines that were very well known Cabernets that um, were sweet. And he said that they actually added sugar to it. Right. And, and, and so, I mean, you have to think that the, you know, the yeast is eating the, the, the sugar in the, in the grapes to produce the alcohol. That's, that's really right. what happens. That's Right. It is a process of it. And there's some sugar left over because it doesn't eat it all. And then, you know, if you get into champagnes, they add extra sugar. That's where the bubbles come from, you know, in the process of that because it doesn't, doesn't work. It doesn't eat it all and it all come out because you've got the cork in there. And that's why you have to secure the cork in there because there's pressure built up in there from the gases being released. Interesting. Well, and that's why, um, you know, you can, you can taste it. It's a, you can taste it in, in how it feels or how it tastes. And I think that's part like I've learned that I like about an 11 to 12% alcohol wine. Mm -hmm. If you give me a 14 to 15% alcohol wine, like some of the ones up in Napa, I, I can only do a half a glass or I'm hung over the next day. So I have learned that that percentage of alcohol really makes a difference for me too. It does. And that's a characteristic of a new world wine is having higher alcohol, higher yeah. sugar, those things. Um, yeah. Where the old world wines is a characteristic of is lower sugar. Yeah. And, Interesting. And lower, lower alcohol. And it's more probably to, to use a, a word that, that you and I would probably use a holistic way of making wine. Yeah. Versus, versus just making a product, you know? Yep. 
Yeah. And, and uh, we, you know, it sounds like you're, you know, quite a bit about a wine and you've probably spent some time in Italy. Have you been to Italy? I haven't, I haven't spent any time there. I spent time in Napa. Okay. Okay. And maybe they do it in Napa, but we love Italy. So we go to Italy as much as we can. And we love talking to the winemakers there. And, you know, their whole goal is to take this amazing grape that they have grown and do very little with it. Like, mm-hmm. don't mess that amazing grape up. I don't know if they do that in Napa. I feel like they're, they're really working towards a palate taste, a palate profile that people that really like. Well, people, when they buy a bottle of silver oak for $200, they want it to taste like silver oak. That's right. That's right. right. Yeah. They, they, they're, not, they're not so much into the art of this is what this year's vintage and, and what the climate and the, and the earth was able to give this year, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, where Silver Oak to control the process is even they own the company that actually makes the barrels that they age the, the, the wine in because um, they own 50% of it for a long time. Now they own 100% of it. And so they, they're even controlling the process in that because that's the way we're, you know, Americans are kind of designed. We want a Big Mac that tastes like a Big Mac, no matter which McDonald's we go to. Yep. Uh, yep. And so we want uh, the wine to taste the same year after year after year after year where there is more nuanced and, and more reliant on, um, on what earth gives us, you know, mother nature gives us, you know, from in these other parts of, of the world. And that's what I think I really love about wine is that each vintage is going to be different. Yes. It is a living thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of complexity more than just enjoying the glass for sure. It is, you know, and, and even, you know, when you get into bourbon, there's a, there's a great documentary, I think it's on Hulu called Neat, A Bourbon Story. And oh. I watched that, I watched that one day and um, it, what it really told me was, I mean, you got to think that there is, um, uh, there's some non-GMO white corn growing in this field in Kentucky, right? And then they're going to take that and put it in a barrel made from the 75-year-old white oak tree that grew up that grew next door to that field or somewhere else in Kentucky. If you're not getting a piece of Kentucky when you taste bourbon, then you're never getting understanding what comes from the earth. I mean, there's such a connection Interesting. Into, uh, Interesting. into what goes into a bottle. And so, and, and disrespecting that, I think is one of the things that we're really good at and we should, yeah. we, should, yeah. we should really understand that this comes from, our planet and is a product of that and have a connection with that the same way that a chef has a connection with making their food and not getting in the way of disturbing what the natural flavors are in arugula. My wife bought some arugula from a farm stand the other day and it tastes nothing like anything I buy in Whole Foods. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. So that's awesome. Better. Yeah. And I know you're getting short on time. And so before I ask my last question, where can people find you online? Well, if you want to learn more about fasting, go to my YouTube channel. I'm, uh, although I've really gotten into food lately, you'll have to see, I just did a bunch on ancient grains. And um, so I'm trying to dive more into the science of food. Um, so we go to my YouTube. Um, if you want to fast with us, we have a closed Facebook group called the Resetter Collaborative. And if you're not sure where to go, just go to drmindypels.com and you, you'll find You'll find all the information there and that'll point you in whatever direction you, you want. We, we put out a lot of content. So um, pick, pick your medium, Instagram, I'm on Instagram too. So depends on the way you learn best. Yeah, I, um, I, I couldn't consume all your, your <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot, yeah, I know. And we, and we didn't even get all, to all the questions that I wanted to ask in the time we had together. It's, um, uh, I'll have to have you back on. Yeah, I was going to say, bring me back. Bring me back. I'll, yeah, I'd love talking about this stuff. Amazing. So the question I ask everybody, and, and, and that is, or every single guest that I have is, um, if you could recommend only one thing a person could do that would extend the prime years of their lives, what would that be? Oh, that's a no-brainer. Intermittent fasting. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you can do all fasting, great, but I think most people could do intermittent fasting. Absolutely. And, and it just, you lower that inflammation down and now you're, you're slowing the aging process down. So it's, it's to me, it just keeps proving over and over and over again to be the, the anti-aging tool that we are all so desperately needing and probably the tool that big pharma doesn't want us all to know about. I, I agree with you 100%. They, nobody really wants everybody to know about the fact that they can actually save money 
right, and get healthier and heal yep. themselves without going to the grocery store, going to a restaurant, or going to see the doctor, right? Yep. Yep. It's really true. I mean, there's no, there's no benefit. I used to say this forever when I first started studying fasting. I'm like, why are people not talking about this? And then I realized, oh yeah, there's no money in fasting. Nobody, nobody's talking about it because there's no way to get rich off of fasting. So it's just really so turned around what our, what information we get. We always have to go back and look at what the profiting is behind it, which is why I love bringing the science to people. It's like, just look at the science. Let's start, let's start looking at the science and see what that's showing us. Right. Yeah, and I've, I've said for a long time, why is it that pork has a monopoly on breakfast? Right. Yeah. Or milk. Why, what, do, do the body good with milk. And so we all have that stuck in our head. It's really right. true. Those were all like plans to get somebody rich and not necessarily take good care of our health. They didn't really care about the health piece. They were just no. thinking about making more money, right? And, yep. and so up until turkey bacon or turkey sausage came out and then veggie sausage, you know, people pretty much had pork for breakfast, right? Yep. And, yep. Um, and still today, right? I mean, you, I, I'd hate to even tell you how much bacon one restaurant can produce, right? And, and, may, they, and it may not even be a breakfast restaurant because you need to add it to burgers and you got to put it on salads and you've got to do all these interesting recipes. And so... I mean, just just that alone is an interesting piece of the uh, of the whole, you know, food supply chain and how all that works and the marketing of those associations and and those things. I you should interview. I interviewed the filmmaker of a movie called Food Lies, and it's all about the food industry and how they've lied to us. But it it is a historical. His movie hasn't come out yet, so he's still like trying to raise funds for it. But it's going to come out soon. And it's a historical um, documentary of, of how food has gotten to the place that it's at right now and how it's so horrible. And he, ha he has some really interesting research. He's talked to some interesting people. Um, so check, I can't remember, Brian, Brian Sanders, I think his name is, and the movie's called Food Lies. So go check him out because he told me something really interesting that I hadn't thought about, which is the worst combination for food the, mo the least healthy is when we put high carb with high fat. And you put that with a bad fat and an over-processed carb, and now you're building disease. And he goes, if all you did is get off those two things, that, that combo, you would dramatically change your health. I agree 100% because I started intermittent fasting eight years ago. And then four years ago, I, I started keto. And I don't tell many people this, but the piece of the puzzle that made me go keto was I started doing the Wim Hof method. Oh, yeah. I live in the mountains at 7,000 feet, and it was January. I'd tired and worn out from working, you know, during Sundance. I listened to, to Wim Hof on the Tim Ferriss show one night. The next morning, I had less layers on when I was out shoveling the snow and those type of things. And, and then about a week later, after my, you know, to get, dipping my toe in the cold shower, so to speak, right, I, um, I was standing at work, and I was like, I need lunch. Two, two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And I said, I know there's sugar in that salad dressing, but I'm craving fat. Hmm. And I listened to just a couple months before that in November, the Dr. Dom Anastigo interview. And I'm like, wait a minute. If I start adding the fat to the diet that has sugar in it, I'm going to gain weight. Yep. I said, so at that moment, standing there in the kitchen, I made a decision to become keto. Awesome. And, awesome. And look and what it's really, done for you. Yeah, it's, it's done absolutely uh, amazing things for me. And um, I tell people it's hard to follow the trail that I'm on and you got to find your own path. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I know you preach the same thing. Everybody's, yep. everybody's um, path to, to being their best self is different than the, another person. Agreed. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So I, I know we've gone over the time and I can't thank you enough. Oh, I, thank you, Scott. This was delightful. I enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, it's been, been amazing. And I can't wait to talk again. And I'll send you some stuff about kids crazy for healthy cooking on this. Oh, I love it. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll blow up her Instagram. We'll get it. We'll get our people on it and uh, send her, send everybody her way. Oh, that'd be amazing. Thank you very much. Uh -huh. so, thanks again. Have a great day and we'll talk. Thank soon. you. Yes. Okay. Thanks Scott. Bye. Right, bye. -bye. The statements expressed in this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Thank you for listening to The Modern Longevitarian. Please show your support 
by giving us a kind review and subscribing. You can also learn so much more about increasing the quality of your life today and the quantity of your life tomorrow at our website, modernlongevitarian.com. You can also join our private Facebook group at the link in the show notes. This episode is sponsored by Magnesium with Immune Boost by Electrolife. Stay hydrated and get yours today at electrolife.com forward slash shop. Come back next week for another amazing episode of the Modern Longevitarian. Mm-hmm.